It's 12.08. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. That All this angst over the Sterling Brown situation. I, I am convinced that Tom Barrett and I believe there's a couple members of the Common Council who, who just completely lost their minds. I have never seen a situation handled in this particular fashion and it's mind-boggling to me that people in responsibility are doing what they are doing. We will discuss that in the 1 o'clock hour of the program. Let's get started with our three big things. Story number one, the headline is, for the first time, the Pewaukee School District will soon have an armed school resource officer on campus. Now, by way of full disclosure, my niece, who has now just completed her freshman year at San Diego State, she went all the way through the Pewaukee school system. My nephew is in school there, um, and uh, two of my, well, they would be my step-grandchildren are, are in school in Pewaukee. I, I think a lot of the Pewaukee school system, Pewaukee schools are a little bit different than some. For example, when, when I went to school in Glendale, the elementary school was in one part of the community, the middle school was in another, the high school was in another. In, in Pewaukee, it's all on the same central campus. You, you've got um, the, the buildings are like three sides of a rectangle, and you've got the elementary school, you've got the middle school, you've got the high school. So everything is, is together. And it, it's sort of interesting because even though I think the, the buses you know, start at different times, all the kids go to essentially the same areas. The eighth grade graduation is in the same high school gymnasium that the high school graduation is it's, it's sort of a cool setup in many respects so here is the deal um earlier this month the Pewaukee school board approved a position subsequently okayed by the Pewaukee village board last week there will now be a school resource officer they call him an SRO the officer has not yet been hired will start working on campus full-time beginning in the next school year, this uh, resource officer will be armed, will serve the full campus, and will be selected by a collaborative hiring process between the school district and the village of Pewaukee uh, Police Department. So there will be an armed law enforcement person on the site for the first time. Right, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We don't, there are some people who don't like the idea of armed law enforcement officers, in this case, the school resource officers, what they're called, you know, on the campus. They feel that it's ineffective. Some people might feel that it's not going to do any good. Some people might feel it gives you a false sense of security. Others think it is simply a, a waste of money putting a Band-Aid on a problem that needs 150 stitches. I happen to think that this is a great idea. And I happen to believe that more and more school districts should be considering this together with a number of other different options. These are realistic. The truth of the matter is you're not going to be able to ban firearms. I understand there's some people who think, well, the way we stop school shootings is we go out and we confiscate all the firearms from the community. Well, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen anytime soon. You have to figure out how to deal with stuff immediately, and I think armed security school resource officers on site is a pretty darn good start. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. 
is Pewaukee. Are the Pewaukee School District, is the Pewaukee School District on the right track? And is this something that more school districts should be following through on? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, the the thing that makes this particularly effective from a Pewaukee standpoint is that the, the campus, the campus is all together. So, you know, within a matter of yards, you can go from the high school to the middle school to the elementary school. That's not always going to be the case in school districts that are more for, far flung. Nevertheless, I, I think, I think armed law enforcement officers on premises is a darn good idea. Let's start with Jake and Fond du Lac. Jake, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi there. Uh, yeah, I went to a, a very small high school. Uh, my graduating class, I think, was 65 people. And we, throughout my entire high school career, always had an armed officer on the ground. Uh, I graduated in 2008. Um, so I've been out 10 years right. or so. But, and it, it cut down on more than just school shootings, I guess. You know, we never had a school shooting or anything of that nature, but it cut down on, on kids using drugs in schools. It cut down on mm-hmm. things going that, that weren't supposed to happen happening as, as far as truancies and things like that. But yeah. there, there's nothing wrong with having having a police officer in school. You know, the, the other thing I, I think, Jake, that could possibly happen, too, is, is I think it might sort of demystify the, the police officer. If... If somebody's only contact with a police officer is when you get busted for underage drinking or stopped speeding or something, maybe you have one impression. I think if you you know see that police officer around the campus on a daily basis, maybe you get to know him, you get to talk to him, I think that breeds respect for the police as well, and there's a value to that too. Absolutely, and then uh, the officer we had was with the majority of the students, I would call respectful back to us and, and, and nearly a friend, I guess. Sure. It just, it just became to be another person that we were in school with, and you talk to him in the halls, you'd say hello, and you saw him, you'd see him on the street, you'd say hello. Right. And it, it gave us that, that feeling, I guess, of that. Yeah, of, of added, no, thank, thanks for calling. I mean, you're right, you've got the added security, but you also, you get a chance to see a police officer kind of up close and personal when they're, they're simply, I mean, they're on the job, they're, they're doing their job, but, I, I mean, it's not an enforcement sort of perspective. You get to understand that, that police officers are human, and I think that that, uh, again, I think that that tends to promote better police community relations as well. I think this is a great expenditure of money, and I will tell you something. I, I hope, you know, they're, they're passing out. They're going to be using, what, millions of dollars in grant money, which is going to be coming down, um, and it's going to be divided up to school districts to help promote school security. To the extent you can use it for things like this, I think this would be a great, great idea. I, I'd like to see these um, SROs, the, the school resource officers, armed with law enforcement authority. I, I'd like to see them in every school. Walter in Kenosha. Walter, you're on WTMJ. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hi, My Walter. wife is a teacher at Bradford High School in Kenosha. Mm-hmm. And um, she's been there for about 20 years. But for the last 15 years, they've had an armed SRO who was actually an, a police officer from the city of Kenosha right. in the school. And I know this guy. I went to school with him. He's a fantastic guy. But he is also there to help the kids if it's a problem. 
if there and he is you know almost considered a friend like um the gentleman before me said right to a lot of the kids and he's there more than just to deter crime but he's there to advise and to you know help and i think it is a fantastic thing and it's long overdue yeah, I mean, I, I think this should be kind of one of the standards that's there. No, no, thanks to Colin. And, and I think, you know, your wife probably sees how this works. It, it is, and look, here, here's the other aspect of this. The, the truth of the matter is, you know, if there is a situation that develops, God forbid, you know, that anything would ever happen on this campus or, or any of these other campuses. But the truth of the matter is, Having an arm, and I'm not talking about arming teachers now, that's a whole other discussion, but having an armed law enforcement per- person on the premises, I think dramatically cuts down the potential for, you know, the school shooting. The, the, I think it could be a lot worse. And look at the examples we've had, you know, in the last several months. Remember the situation where you had the school shooting and what happened was you had the, you know, armed officer who was able to respond quickly. If you are able to confront those threats, I think what you do is you minimize, or at least you can, you know, minimize the, the damages. And, I, and I, I get that this isn't a magic bullet. Nobody suggests, and by that I mean nobody suggests that this is going to stop all the school shootings. Yeah, I mean, they have school resources officers at other places, and there's been school shootings. Nobody says that this is something that can guarantee safety. But the point is, I don't know that you can ever guarantee safety, and I understand that that's frustrating. To me, it's a matter of school security. It's a matter of locking the doors. It's a matter of limiting access. It's a, but I, I think this is a very, very positive step, and I, I'm glad to see the village board adopt it. I'm glad to see the school board adopt it. I, I'm confident that the parents will embrace it. I think this makes the whole situation more secure, and I think more school districts should follow suit. 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, Mom speaks, and she's not happy. Stick around. 1221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Grew, who's producing the show today and always went to the ball game last night. Brewers, you know, it was so fun about the game yesterday, and you can hear tonight's game on WTMJ. Um, I'm off tomorrow because there's an early Brewers game as well. Hopefully they'll win tonight, have a chance for a sweep tomorrow. But what was so very, very cool is that the, the game, it shows how baseball can be played when when teams want to play. Four to two, well-played game, well-pitched game. I think it was, I think it, it lasted, it was definitely less than three hours. I think it was probably close to two hours and 40 minutes. Game started earlier, 640. You know, I was home by 10 o'clock, just had a, a great time. I, the whole evening, I was thankful for the roof at Miller Park because it was kind of an icky, cold, nasty night outside last night. But inside Miller Park, it was just absolutely perfect, as well as the result. And this team has the fourth or fifth best record in baseball. I mean, it's, I tell you, I, they're kind of flying under the national radar because I listen to a lot of the national um, talk shows and things like that. But uh, quietly here, they're doing really, really well. And they're doing it with Ryan Braun, essentially a non-producer this year because of injuries. Eric Thames, who's you know going to be out for a few more weeks after you know hurting his wrist or his thumb or whatever he hurt. But you know they're they're coming through. Pitching's been great. It's just a fun team to watch. So. Going out to Miller Park, taking the games. They had 27,000 out there yesterday. Wish it was like 37,000. This team is playing good enough baseball that you should go out and watch it. They're, uh, they are fun to watch. They're young. They're exciting. If you can't get out to the game, though, be sure to tune in WTMJ. All right. 
you will remember this story from a couple weeks ago. It was that Friday afternoon, Wauwatosa police receive a call from Mayfair Mall Security about 4.30 requesting police assistance. So that tells you what's going on. The security people have to call the cops. So they call the police. They say, here's what's happened. We've got five males, five young men inside the mall. They are creating a disturbance. They are acting disorderly. Come and help us. So what happens is the police respond to that call. One of the officers on the scene sees several of these young men in the parking lot. And there, there is a video of this. You've got the mall surveillance films in the parking lot. The officer gets out of his vehicle. Um, the, the guys are running through the parking lot. He tries to speak with them, you know, to see, hey, what's going on here? The kids refuse to stop. They start running away. The officer kind of comes up and is able to, to grab one of the males who is, again, running. He's refusing to stop. Um, at that point in time, the suspect begins to fight with the officer. And then there's the second cell phone video that somebody else in the parking lot took. And, and maybe you can see it like a mall security guy kind of grabs the guy and, and sort of holds him. And the police officer is struggling with him. And the police officer throws a forearm. And, and that that's the 13-second video that was caught on the cell phone video. And then there's the larger thing of, of the mall. So the, the kid is taken into custody for resisting arrest, disorderly conduct, you have some of the usual suspects are screaming, you know, police brutality, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so that is now hanging fire. Well, into this wades the mother of of the kid. And here's the, the story as reported in the, the Journal Sentinel. Um, mother of teen punched by Tosa cop speaks out. My fear turned into terror. A mother's fear turned into terror upon learning the circumstances involved in her son's arrest in an incident that was captured on a cell phone May 11th at Mayfair Mall and went viral. The mother said the public should not live in fear that innocent behavior could result in an arrest. May read that again. The mother said the public should not live in fear that innocent behavior could result in an arrest. The mother has hired an attorney, put out a statement said the family is looking at all possible legal avenues in response to the incident. I'm sure they are. Her son was arrested, cited for disorderly conduct, battery, resisting an officer. The mother said that she was attending a funeral out of state. She received word about the incident. She said she felt scared and worried about her son and came home as soon as she could to deal with the situation. My fear turned into terror when I learned that my son had been repeatedly punched in the face by a police officer while a mall security guard held his arms behind his back. The mother urged society to do better and to hold accountable those who violate the constitutional rights to which we are all entitled. Um, this is, of course, a statement coming out through the, the lawyers. No parent should have to worry that when their child goes out in public that the people who are meant to keep them safe are actually a threat. No child should have to live in fear that innocent behavior could result in an arrest. No child should have to fear that they will be punched in the face by a police officer. And then the mother says, well, we want to respect, I hope the media will respect my son's privacy and the privacy of the family. Huh. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, so mom is saying, 
Well, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm living in fear. Nobody should live in fear that innocent behavior could result in this arrest. I, I was terrorized when I learned that my so- son was punched. We need to hold people accountable, et cetera, et cetera. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. At the risk of being insensitive, my first question to this mother would be, lady, I mean, Aren't you concerned at all about the behavior that your kid engaged in in the first place that started this whole thing? Now, again, I understand the police are doing their investigation, and they'll determine whether there was excessive force. But none of this happens if the kid is not engaged in disorderly conduct out at the mall, creating a disturbance that requires the security people to call the cops. None of this happens if the kid doesn't try to run away from the police and then struggle with them. So the mom is outraged at the police behavior. Maybe maybe the real problem, could it be a little closer to home? 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, I, Melissa and I have worked together for Lord knows how long. And it's just kind of like, I don't know where Elizabeth Barkley came. I have no idea where that came from. Deep in that recesses of my mind where you just never know what's going to kind of pop out here. Michelle in Waterford weighs in. She texts, if one of my kids pulled this stunt, they would be safer in police custody than in my custody. Tom and West Dallas texts, what we have today, especially in this situation, is a culture that refuses to take responsibility for Poor antisocial behavior. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I whether or not ultimately, you know, the the Wauwatosa Police Department will come out, they'll finish their investigation, decide whether there was excessive force and that type of stuff. All right, and, and and that'll that'll play out. Inevitably, there's going to be a lawsuit and there's going to be a claim. But let's not lose sight of what really happened here. You had a bunch of kids that were engaging in bad, disruptive behavior. They were so bad that the security at the mall had to call the police. When the police arrived on the scene, instead of stopping, answering questions, uh, the kids fled. The officer then grabs one of the kids. He resists arrest, and then you, you have the struggle that ensues. It is difficult for me to see this kid as a victim. The kid was a perpetrator. And, of course, I understand the mom has her own reasons for wanting to go public with this stuff. Uh, it, it is sort of interesting that, well, the family, you know, hopes you'll respect everybody's privacy. At the same time, you're out there throwing bricks at the the police in connection, in anticipation of the lawsuit that you hope to file. Uh, file. Let's talk to Mike in West Dallas. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, hey, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Jeff, I'm afraid we're in for a uh, long, lawless summer with juveniles. I think uh, every year they become more emboldened. These groups can uh, almost go without impunity and, and, and do these kinds of things, especially in the malls. Uh, nothing really happens at best to slap on the wrist or a, a few harsh words, but never do they have to pay any consequence. And of course, a lawsuit will happen, and... Uh, you know, all of the money and all of the expenditure that takes place to, to do that mm-hmm. is just ridiculous from the people that are good people and taxpayers of our communities. Well, yeah. And, and, I think that, go ahead. I, I just think that there's, there has to be, you know, no conversation any longer. We have to make a stand, especially when we have the evidence of something, you know, as ridiculous as this takes place where you've got juveniles uh, causing a disruptance and they think that they're, they're, 
scot free when when they want to be, and they yeah. shouldn't be. I think the parents in this case, you know, should stand a chance of losing some financial uh, compensation for even bringing it to court. Well, uh, I mean, the, I, I, yeah. I mean, th- thanks for calling. I mean, the, 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 the parents, though, the, the mother clearly views herself as we're we're we are the we are the victims. You know, my child was the victim here. You know, but you are right when we talk about some of the larger issues that are out there. There, there is a, there is an attitude and a certain culture of lawlessness that you can do anything, you won't be held responsible, and you will get away with it. And we see it, whether it's disorderly conduct and resisting arrest and fleeing from the police, and then, gee, the police take me into custody after I'm struggling with them, and now I am the victim. Oh, woe is me. You see this. You see it in some of the crimes. Look. I mean, car theft. There are so many cars stolen in Milwaukee that it, it doesn't it doesn't make the news. That you you could fill up a thirty minute newscast on on an almost daily basis. Just the different cars that are stolen. A lot of those cars are being stolen by juveniles, and it and, and nothing happens to them. That's just the reality. Nothing happens to them. In most cases, if not all cases, they don't get waived into adult court. You don't find out the results. I'm slapping my wrist because that's what the juvenile court judges do. They slap the wrists of the, these kids, you know, and, and now and then, of course, it leads to carjackings. You know, you have a major problem with carjackings, and those almost never get reported either. There's so many of them, unless and until you have the high-speed chase that inevitably ensues. But the bottom line is you have a culture of lawlessness that has developed in this community, and it starts from the little things it grows to the big things. You've got politicians that want to protect and engage in that culture because they don't want to be, they don't want, we don't want to talk about locking too many people up or anything like that. We don't want to talk about holding people accountable. You've got the police who are trying to enforce the laws and they are then end up made, becoming the bad guy. Now, like I say, ultimately, maybe the Wauwatosa Police Department is going to take a look at this. And decide that what the what the officer did here was excessive. All right, they'll finish that. But this give me a break. This outrage of this mother. Oh, his constitutional rights being violated. And how terrible this was. Well, maybe she should start with the real problem, which is what her kid was doing, creating this problem in the first place, and why why he did it. Number one, and then when the police arrived, number two, he didn't stop. He didn't answer their questions because if he did, I guarantee you. None of this would have happened. But, of course, that's that's something we have to overlook. That's not her kid's problem at all. Here, her kid, oh, this is just terrible, living in fear. This is awful. Oh, yeah, and we're considering all our legal avenues as well. Ka-ching. It's 1243. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Brewers and Diamondbacks continue their three-game series from Miller Park. Mr. Baseball, the one and only Bob Euchre is on the call. Our coverage starts at 6.05 tonight, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Is that right? Is it 6.05? Crew, would you check? 6.05. Is that right? It is 6.05. Oh, okay. All right. Good. 6.05 6.05 tonight is when our coverage starts. I was there last night. Somebody sent me a text. How many games have you been to this year? I, five or six? I think six maybe. Um, I, I bought. I broke down and bought a 20-game season ticket package, and um, that, that's actually just it, just right. I mean, I've got tickets for Thursday night's game and for next Tuesday. It's It's been a lot of fun. took my wife yesterday. My best friend was kind enough to give up his seat, and it's been a lot of fun. Like I say, get out to the ballpark. They're playing really, really good baseball. If you can't, be sure to tune in. WTMJ, hear the call here. All right. 
big story number three. And, and by the way, we are going to talk about the Sterling Brown case. It, it's interesting to me how much has been said and how much has been written about this Sterling Brown. That's the Bucks player who uh, got arrested and got tased last January, <clears throat> 2 o'clock in the morning, illegally parked outside a Walgreens store. Um, we're going to talk about that um, in just a few minutes, maybe about 20 minutes or so, right after the top of the hour. But big story number three for the first hour. <sighs> okay, McDonald's. McDonald's is based in uh, out, outside of Chicago. Um, what happened is <clears throat> uh, yesterday, about 150 cooks and cashiers blocked the entrance to McDonald's headquarters in Chicago yesterday, protesting what they call unfairly low pay at one of the world's largest fast food chains. McDonald's, McDonald's, you can't hide. We can see your greedy side. The protest was organized by the, it's the, the SEIU, the Service Employees International Union, and, and they're, they're trying to organize the fast food workers. You know, they're, they're looking for members. Um, so this is part of the fight for 15, which has been trying to pressure McDonald's to raise its minimum wage to $15 an hour. We are cooks and cashiers who work behind the company's counters, grills, and fryers across the country. And we are calling on McDonald's to use their massive power and wealth to lift up people of color in our communities rather than keeping us locked in poverty. And then they're going on and again playing the race card, talking about how the low pay disproportionately hurts people of color. All right, McDonald's says... Well, you know, what we're going to commit to do is we're going to invest $150 million over the next five years to help employees pay for college tuition. You know, that's the way we are doing this. Um, they've also pledged that they will, um, in the stores that they directly control. Now, most of McDonald's restaurants are franchises, but in the stores that they directly control, they say, you know, we've pledged that we'll pay at least a dollar an hour above the local minimum wage. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Here you've got the greedy McDonald's Corporation. You've got the greedy franchise owners. And, and like I say, I think uh, I could be slightly wrong on the numbers, but out of about 15,500 McDonald's restaurants across the country, 14,000 of those are owned by franchisees. So the, the, the actual ones owned by the corporation are small. But, all right, these people are demanding, we want mandatory $15 an hour. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's my comment. These people who are doing this should be really careful that um, they don't get what they want. Because I think, first of all, if you raise the minimum pay in a McDonald's to $15 an hour, what you are going to find, and I've made this argument before, that is going to probably result in about half of these people losing their jobs to automation. Because what it's going to mean is it's going to be much more cost effective for the people who own the McDonald's to go ahead and invest in the do-it-yourself kiosks where people can order instead of, like, talking into the machine. I think they'll be able to get rid of half the counter help. It's going to make it easier for McDonald's stores to justify paying for, you know, the automated lines that, you know, flip the burgers and make the fries, etc., allowing them to eliminate half of the kitchen help. I just think that you raise that minimum wage, 
half the people are going to lose their job. What's more, you raise that minimum wage, and I think what you're going to find is a lot of these people who are low-skilled, entry-level workers, they're going to find that their jobs are being taken by, I don't know, maybe it's that college graduate that can't find the job for $15 an hour. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is McDonald's, the corporation, and are all the franchisees, are these just insensitive, greedy people who are just trying to keep people down by not paying them $15 an hour? Or is the simple fact is that the job is not worth $15 an hour, and as a result, if people want to make 15 bucks an hour, they've got to maybe work at the entry-level jobs and either work their way up or get some specialized training so they can command that. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You can block the door of McDonald's all you want. The reality is the workers there don't deserve $15 an hour. I'm not against people making money, but the job simply isn't worth that. 414-799-1620. We discuss 1252. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I have to admit, when I was looking at this story about the McDonald's workers demanding 15 bucks an hour, I kept thinking about what happened at McDonald's over here on Port Washington Road in Glendale the other day, where you have the brawl that breaks out between the two employees that leads, and, and of course, that's the second incident that they've had just in that restaurant in the last few weeks. I'm thinking, oh, oh, yeah, that, that these two that are fighting, yeah, let's give them $15 an hour to brawl. Let's talk to Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, hey good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Jason. I just think it's kind of funny, you know, people throwing haymakers at McDonald's over a little dispute. But that's besides the point. Um, you don't have to look any farther than Seattle and California, where the liberal privilege already implemented the $15 an hour, and they're going to completely automate a McDonald's. So, like you were saying before, yeah. all these people that had a job, you know, don't have their job anymore. Yeah. And these are entry-level jobs, too. They're not meant to be a, you know, life-sustaining thing unless you're in manglements or, you know, right. some upper... Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. They, 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 are, they are geared for the part-time workers, the, the students after work, maybe the senior citizens who are trying to supplement some of their income. Right, unless you're going to get on the management track or something like that, that, that these aren't full-time family of four supporting jobs and they've never been intended to be right yeah now thanks for calling me that and that's just kind of the reality of this um have a text here i ran a fast food restaurant the job that is being asked is simply not worth 15 dollars an hour not only that but you're right mcdonald's is already putting in self-service machines so it's already here yeah you you raise the the the, the hourly wage to 15 dollars an hour for a job that might be worth objectively $10 an hour, well, it's not too long before you've justified the cost of putting in the robots or putting in the, the technology. It's there. And, okay, raise it to $15 an hour. What about all the college kids, for example, who can't find jobs in their chosen professions, so they're working for 10 or $11 an hour? They're going to be the ones that are going to come up and scoop up those jobs. So the people without training and education, the entry-level workers, they're going to lose them anyways because they're not going to be qualified. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thank you, sir. I mean, it, I think it's, it's absolutely ludicrous. I mean, think about it. If you go to, if you get a two-year degree in accounting and become a bookkeeper, 
you might make 15 bucks an hour, maybe 18 at the outside. Yeah, I mean, li- licensed practical nurses. I'm not sure a lot of those yeah. start at $15 or an hour. CNC yeah. or machining, you know, anything. I, mean, I, I go down a whole list of skilled trades, you know, where you'd be lucky to start at 15 bucks an hour. Right. You know, that type of thing, much less being able to click. You know, I mean, they can't even put cheese on my egg or <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I, I look. I, I'm not sure. I have. I'm not sure. I could do a very good job working in the fast food place either. But, but, but the bottom line is, it's you know, jobs. You you pay the way you determine what a job is worth is how much do you have to pay? What sort of training does somebody have to do the job? These are entry well, level jobs. Period. Yeah, and, who, and who's willing to do it? I mean, that's yeah. really what it comes down to is, is whether or not it's, it's a supply and demand. Yes. The labor's there. Or it's not there. Yeah, no, you're, thanks for, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Now look, I, I, I have a friend who runs, who owns, he's a franchisee, he owns a ton of McDonald's, um, in Wisconsin. And, and, you know, getting good help is always a huge battle. And to get good help, they, I know, pay well over minimum wage. They offer incentives to try to get in good people. But to say to them, okay, you gotta pay everybody $15 an hour is nuts. You pay what the market requires you to pay. And my message to the McDonald's workers is, if you want $15 an hour, either put in the time, develop, you know, that skill to make it worth it to the owner of the McDonald's to give you 15 bucks an hour, or get training, get a job that really does deserve $15 an hour. Sorry if you don't like to hear it, but it's reality. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 108. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, it, it is possible to imagine a situation being handled worse. And I sent this out on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. It's um, at Jeff Wagner 620. Send out a number of tweets to give you an idea and some links to some of the stories we're going to be talking about on the program. It is possible to imagine a situation like this being handled worse. But I'm not exactly sure how. I am talking about the Sterling Brown situation, which has been... Bizarre from the beginning. Sterling Brown has, of course, just finished his rookie year with the Bucks. Uh, this incident that we speak of happened about 2 o'clock in the morning on January 26th when officers were doing a business check at the Walgreens, it's a 24-hour Walgreens, near West National Avenue and South 26th Street. So that's why they're there. There have been a lot of robberies in, the, in that area, so they're, they're checking to make sure everything's all right. They come across a vehicle parked across two handicap spaces. Um, the vehicle is driven by Sterling Brown. So far, nobody has said anything publicly about who Brown was with that night and why he was at the, the Walgreens. But I will let that go for a minute. Assume that story will come out. In any event, there there is an altercation that happens between the police and between Brown that ends up in... Um, Brown being tased and um, arrested on a misdemeanor charge of resisting or obstructing an officer. After an internal review of the incident, um, police officials decided that they weren't going to refer the matter to prosecutors. Okay, now you will remember the story when it first broke. Um, Tom Barrett, who's the mayor, apparently was given a heads up on this. And then there were conversations that he apparently had with members of the, the Bucks front office. The entire thing was just very, very strange. 
Um, and the mayor denied that he had any influence in the decision to drop charges or anything like that. And, and Ed Flynn was involved in all this. But, but again, it was unusual that the mayor would have been involved and consulted on an earlier, at an early stage of this. And, and why bring in the bucks? I mean, it's, it's, if that had been you or, or me, I, I don't know that the mayor would have gotten involved and been calling my boss at WTMJ or things like that. It was just the whole thing was sort of odd, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right, so so now what's apparently happening is that the video of the body camera thing is about to be released. Now, normally, when these things happen, you have the police chief, and of course Ed Flynn was the police chief at the time. I'm already being told that there's plans that whatever's in this, it's going to get blamed on Ed Flynn. If there's bad stuff in it, it's going to be Flynn. That's that's the way I'm being told it's getting spun. But in any event, so, so there's a body camera thing that's been sitting around for a while that Barrett has apparently, I, I think, seen. Um, I don't know when he saw it, but but he's he's seen it. So there, there's this body camera footage of, of the, the thing. Now normally what would happen is you would have the the police chief or the super whoever is going to be responsible for talking about th- this incident you know they would come out and they would release it to the public all at once that's not how this has happened and it's just flat out bizarre apparently the mayor has been shown this footage and the mayor is talking about this footage um, you, you've heard him on our air. He's talking about in other areas. He, he doesn't go into detail, but he is saying repeatedly he has concerns about the actions of police personnel seen on the video. He says the police chief has had a similar reaction. So he's speaking for the police chief on this video that hasn't been made available to the public. He says, I'm going to let the release of that speak for itself, but yes, I definitely have concerns after watching the video. Well, Tom... You're not letting the release speak for yourself. You're already prejudging this thing and talking about it. So then what they do is instead of releasing it, they apparently um, go to the the Common Council, um, closed session of the Common Council, a Common Council committee. They show the Common Council uh, committee the, the video. They show the video to the Bucks. Buck spokesman declines to talk about it, but a source who watched the video, my guess is, it's just a guess, but my guess is somebody you know who saw it in the common council, this could be bad. The player doesn't appear to be provocative at all. The assistant police chief, Michael Brunson, referred to the Brown video in a speech at a Milwaukee church on Sunday, um, and he says... There's going to be a video that's going to come out soon in the next couple weeks involving the department. And I'm going to be honest with you. We're going to need your support during the challenges. So you you have all these people talking about this. Now this has become this this huge national story. Everybody is speculating on on what's in this particular video. And in many respects, you've made it a much bigger story than it might have otherwise been. Now, I have not seen the video. Don't know. But I've never seen a, a, a way of handling this. Why not just have released the video? 
I mean, if you've got the video and you've decided, for example, that there's going to take disciplinary action against a police officer, I don't know they'll do that, but wouldn't wouldn't you think the prudent thing to be would say, instead of this three or four day run up, oh my God, what could be in this video? What could be in this video? Wouldn't the better thing to have been would have been to have the police chief or the assistant police chief or the mayor, whoever's going to do this, now come out before all this started, last week, whenever. You have a press conference, you say, okay, this is the video, here we are releasing it, these are the actions that we're taking, we've decided that it's excessive force, or or whatever, whatever they're going to say, and just lay it out there instead of this build-up to what they might release. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, of course, there's a report today that uh, the player for the Bucks. He's got a lawyer, and he's planning, uh, well, the story in the Journal Sentinel is, he plans to file a civil rights lawsuit against the Milwaukee Police Department as a result of being tased and arrested in January. Now, of course, my guess is Exhibit A, B, and C in that lawsuit is going to be the things that Tom Barrett, who was going to let the video speak for itself but isn't, um, the thing that Barrett said, the thing that the assistant police chief said, Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just it is mind boggling to me that this is the way that they are handling this. Um I, I understand they, they think by doing this maybe they're going to, you know, tamp down a violent reaction by the community. I don't know. I think all they've done is candidly just make it more likely that, you know, some people are going to end up mobilizing or doing whatever. Why not just release the thing instead of having this week-long build-up to it and let the chips fall where they may? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss in just a moment. It's 117 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 119 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, I, I don't know. The, the, the hype that this Sterling Brown video is getting... Um, one of our texters says it, it's kind of like like they're, they're rolling out the new iPhone or whatever. I, I've never seen a situation handled like this. Instead of simply, this is the video, this is how we're going to handle it, you, you've had this kind of slow rollout. You've got the mayor saying, well, I, I'm, I'm not going to speak. I'm going to let the release speak for itself. But then he goes on to say, but I have concerns about watching the video. Well, you're not letting the video speak for itself, Mr. Mayor. Of course, Barrett's involvement in this whole thing has been odd from the beginning. I just, so then you show it to members of the Common Council, and some of those, I I presume, some of those are the unnamed sources that the the Journal Sentinel is using. But people have seen it. Oh, this could be bad, etc. Why don't we just release this thing, let people judge, and go from there? Dave on the south side. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, I don't think they knew when he, they came up to him that he was a Milwaukee Fox. Do you think you, they knew that? Don't, yeah, I don't not? know. Probably. Oh, pro- probably not. I mean, they're investigating the. Um, you know, the so, again, they're so they're like they're they, looking. They're they checking on the business. Jeff, he was a black guy at 2 a.m. on 26th and National, which isn't good in the city of Milwaukee. Let me tell you that. That's not good at all. I mean, that's not good at all. So that's not good for him. I mean, so maybe they, they might have used some excessive force on it. Well, and, and, and Dave, see, Dave, don't think, don't get me wrong. I, I, I haven't seen the video. Okay, I, I take no position on that. I, I mean, you know, the video is going to show what the video is going to show. And, and, and 
and and if there was excessive force or no justification, okay, all right, that that's fine. Then then you deal with it. My objection is the way this has been handled from the beginning. The mayor getting involved early, um, calls to the bucks, and, and now apparently, all right, you you've got this thing. You've got the mayor talking. Well, I'm not gonna I'm gonna let the video speak for itself, but blah blah blah. blah this is what I think. You know, you've got, and, and I've talked to the police chief. He has concerns. You, you've got all this stuff that's out there, and, and all it is doing is building up th- this hype that's there. You've got the assistant police chief talking about this. I mean, at, at some point in time, wouldn't they have just been better to say, all right, here is our press conference. This is what we found. This is how we're going to handle it. Not we're going to selectively leak this out. We're going to let some people see this. That That's the issue because now – You've called a, a lot of attention to it. Like I say, for the Bucks players lawsuit, you, you've now, I, I, it certainly seems like the mayor has prejudged this. All right, that's interesting for the city attorney's office, given the stuff that Tom Barrett is already saying about this. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor, on behalf of the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee. Um, it, it's just it's just a bizarre sort of thing. I, they, if they were going to talk about this, they should have come out last week, had a press conference, released the video, explained what they see, what they're going to do. We think this was excessive force, blah, 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 and then going on with that instead of this, well, you know, we're going to roll this out and we're going to decide and we don't know when we're going to do it. It's been handled in the worst way possible, at least in in my opinion. And you, you maybe they're trying to do it to diffuse tensions. I think what they're doing is, is essentially making the matter worse by saying, oh, this is going to be bad. Just kind of get ready for it. Um, as to what it shows, again, I don't know. But aren't you just better being forthcoming and just instead of here, we're going to do this slow release and we're going to tell you about this and this is going to happen in two weeks. Okay, maybe that works if you're trying to, I don't know, build up anticipation for the opening of the new Avengers movie. But when you're dealing with a public safety matter and a police interaction matter, aren't you just better off coming out with it as soon as you've got the information and then kind of letting the chips fall where they may instead of generating all this speculation? Now, it's just, it's. I think it candidly has been mishandled from the beginning, and um, it's not getting better. And I, Again, I, I love the mayor's comment. I'm going to let the release of the video speak for itself, but... <laughs> I definitely have concerns after watching the video. Tom, that's not letting the release speak for itself. Huh. 124, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Training Camp. It's only a couple months away. And we here at WTMJ are your flagship for all things green and gold to see full coverage of the Packers, including their 2018 schedule. Text the word Packers to the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line 414-799-1620. One of our texters, Lori, particularly astute, she says, it's almost like Tom Barrett wants the publicity of a protest so he can come out and say he was on the right side. Well, I don't know about the publicity of a protest, but there is no question that sound you are hearing, that thump, is the mayor throwing the cops under a bus. There, there, there's no, no question about it. That, that this is... This is the well. I'm going to let the release of the video speak for itself. But what I saw was very troubling. Mm, that's those police officers who were involved in this. They're they're under the bus. And um, don't be surprised if if it, I mean again, I don't know what's on this video, but I, I think you're going to hear about Ed Flynn. My guess that he's going to be 
He's going to be getting thrown under the bus since he's no longer in Milwaukee, just like whatever those police officers were. We'll, we'll wait and see, but this is what happens when you try to manipulate public opinion instead of just playing it straight, releasing whatever you've got to release when it's ready to be released. All right. I, in a different context yesterday, we talked about this $122 million tax rebate that's going on. In essence, what happened is we, Wisconsin taxpayers, overpaid. All right, we, we paid more than was needed. And so there were a couple choices as to what to do with it. The, the government could have taken it and spent it on other things. For example, we were talking about gas taxes yesterday. And a caller said, well, I, I think instead of giving back the money the taxpayers overpaid, what we should do, they should have spent it on the roads, which I, I, I guess reasonable people can make that argument. I think particularly if you're an advocate of conservative government, you know, if I, I think surpluses should be given back to the people that paid. All right. Well, the way the governor and the legislature decided to do it is they decided to do a, a tax rebate. Okay, so $122 million is going to be going back to some taxpayers. Not everybody, but some taxpayers. Well, if you want to understand how petty and that's the only word, well, there's a couple other words I could use, but I'm going to use the word petty. How petty the Democrats in Wisconsin have been and how deep with Walker derangement syndrome they're in. Get this story. Okay, so $122 million is going back, right? People have to find out how to take advantage of that. So what they're doing is they're sending postcards. More than half a million postcards are being sent to the people who can apply for this money to come back, right? The cost of the postcards. Now, we're talking about $122 million that's going back. The cost to notify people is $128,000. That's how much it costs to print up and send off a half a million postcards telling people, hey, there's this new tax rebate that's out there. Here is how you apply for it. The Democrats out opposing this. Oh, this is just a giveaway that Scott Walker is trying in a desperate bid to keep his job. Now we find out he's spending $128,000 in taxpayer funds for a mailing to supplement his political advertising. Well, the, the postcard doesn't have Walker's name on it at all. It's not a campaign thing. It's saying, and this is how we did it when we gave money back in 1999, hey, you might be eligible for a tax rebate. If you want to find out how to do it, do it. And the petty Democrats are whining about this, whining about spending the money for the postcards so that you can, uh, again, find out if you've got money coming back. At some point in time, your head just wants to explode. Like I say, reasonable people can argue about whether we should be giving the money back to the taxpayers. But notifying the taxpayers that this is how you put in your claim, my goodness, I would think people would want to have that information It's 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The new head of MPS says he has five priorities to turn the district around. John McCure and Melissa Barkley share them. Tune in, 434 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Yeah, that's uh, five priorities. Okay, we'll, we'll see how, they, how he does it. All right. Um, I want to get your reaction to this story. Uh, you perhaps know, I, I am pro-death penalty. I, I, I have always been that way. I I believe that there are certain crimes for which 
the ultimate punishment is called for. I, I, I just, I, I flat out do. I don't know if the death penalty has a deterrent effect that somebody, would somebody not be a serial killer because they knew they could be put to death? I, I, I don't know. But I guess I feel that for certain crimes, that that is an appropriate punishment. And, and that's just, and I, I view it from purely the, the punishment perspective. And I understand some people disagree with me because of maybe um, your religious beliefs or whatever. I respect that. But still, I, I have no problem with, with the death penalty at, at all. Now, we had the situation last week involving the young man in, in Texas, 17 years old, who had planned the killing at Santa Fe High School in Texas, ended up killing 10 people, eight students, two teachers, wounded another 13. It was a planned, systematic killing. He apparently had sketched out plans for this in his journal and on the home computer. Everybody knows the story by now. He had bombs that he had made. Thankfully, those bombs did not go off, but he had a shotgun, he had a handgun, um, and he, he systematically went room by room trying to execute people. Um, according to his journal, ultimately, you know, he planned to kill himself, but he chickened out. You know, chickened out. Now there's a story, it just, you want to talk about infuriating. There's a story today, I saw it in USA Today, about the boy's father saying, well, you know, he, he was bullied. Maybe that's what prompted him. So in other words, it's like, oh, don't blame don't blame my kid for killing all these people and destroying the lives of all these folks. He, he might have been bullied, you know, and nobody knows exactly what he meant by that. But what I think he meant is he's, he's trying to dodge responsibility. But anyhow, you've got 10 people who are dead. You've got 13 people who are wounded in connection with this. And in some cases, I mean, seriously, seriously wounded, you know, their lives are, are going to be forever altered. Texas has the death penalty, and Texas treats 17-year-olds as adults. So for Texas purposes, if you commit a crime at the age of 17, you are treated or you can be treated like an adult. Well, here's one of the dazzling details. Because of a United States Supreme Court decision back in 2006, even though Texas has the death penalty, the shooter, the murderer, the mass murderer is not subject to the death penalty. He cannot be put to death because the U.S. Supreme Court has declared that people 17 and under don't have the cognitive ability to appreciate the wrongfulness of their conduct. So it is cruel and unusual punishment if you were to impose the death penalty on this 17-year-old mass murderer, it gets better. There is another Supreme Court decision, U.S. Supreme Court decision, which says it is also cruel and unusual punishment to sentence a juvenile, someone under the age of 18, to life in prison without parole. Because, again, the idea is this 17-year-old just was unable to appreciate the full degree of his actions. So the what can happen is can't be put to death, and um, any sentence that he has, that he gets, would have to allow 
for the possibility of parole after 40 years. He could be ordered to serve 40 years, but that means that he will be eligible for parole um, by the time he's 57 years old, meaning there is a chance that he will be released back into society despite taking all these lives. Now, that's not a guarantee that he's going to get parole. I mean, Charles Manson came up for parole lots of times, never got parole, died in prison. So it's not a guarantee that he's going to get parole, but he will be eligible for parole after serving 40 years. And I want to open up the phone lines. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is fundamentally wrong. I think to say that this 17-year-old mass murderer, if he had committed this crime you know, a year from now, or I don't know when he's scheduled to turn 18, six months, eight months, a year from now, whatever, that under those circumstances, yes, Yes, he could receive the death penalty, or yes, he could get life in prison without parole. But because he did it a few months earlier or whatever, no, we we have to treat him differently. I think it is absurd to assume that this 17-year-old didn't understand the full ramifications of what he was doing. And, And yes, I think he would deserve the death penalty. And at a very minimum, he would certainly deserve life in prison without parole. He took 10 people's lives why are we protecting him? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, officials' hands are tied because this is a Supreme Court ruling that came down a number of years ago. But I think it demonstrates fundamentally in a situation like this why that ruling is wrong. And yes, I think the death penalty should be applied to this guy. 414-799-1620. What do you think? We discuss next. It's 142. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 146. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, the the killer in the Texas school shooting from last week is 17 years old. This shooting was methodically planned out and journaled. Uh, The guy made bombs. The guy showed up with the shotgun, engaged in a you know, systematically, you know, going, looking for certain people, picking them out, killing them. It was as premeditated as it could possibly be. Apparently, his original plan was to kill himself, and then he chickened out. And so now he's going to be going to trial, presumably, on this. Texas has the death penalty, but because of a Supreme Court decision 10, 11, 12 years ago, since he is 17, he's not eligible for the death penalty because is supposedly cruel and unusual punishment to put a 17-year-old to death, to which I say nuts. On top of that, because he is a juvenile, a 2012 Supreme Court ruling says that it is cruel and unusual punishment to sentence a juvenile to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So um, after 40 years, he will be eligible for parole. It is possible that he will be walking the streets at the age of 57, despite the fact that 10 people will never take another breath. Let's talk to Tim in Greenfield. Tim, good afternoon. Hello. Hi, uh, Tim. My, my question is, basically, if they serve, if he serves eight life sentences in a row, not, not at the same time, he'd never get out anyway. Yeah, they can't. I, you, what you're saying is if you were to try to run 
run the sentences consecutive as opposed to concurrent. Um, and, and the idea being that then, then you'd be able to do that. I, legally, I don't think you can do that. I, I don't. I, I don't think that you could structure the sentence in such a way to ultimately not make him eligible for parole. I, I, I I'm, I'm almost positive you couldn't do that. No, thank, thanks for calling out. No, I understand what you're saying. The, the, the thing would be, okay, well, you, you sentence him on the first murder, and you say, okay, life in prison, you'd be eligible for parole after 40 years, um, but then what we're going to do is we're going to take the next sentence and we're going to sentence, we're going to make that run consecutive. In other words, it doesn't start till after the sentence is. I, I, I'm almost certain that if you try to do that, that would be found to be, again, in violation of this Supreme Court decision, which essentially says after 40 years, you, regardless of, I think, of how many crimes you've committed, you're going to have to be eligible for parole. Could be wrong on that, but, but I don't, I don't think so. I, I'm, Pretty sure, but see the, the bigger point of this is that this kind of underscores the insanity of this decision. That that all right, if if he does this and again, I don't know when his birthday is, but is, is he really mentally that much different now than he would have been, you know, when a couple months from now? No, I mean this guy is a serial killer, and if we put serial killers to death, and again, I understand you might have an issue with the whole concept of the death penalty that I don't have, but if you put serial killers to death. You know, why are we protecting him because he committed the crime now at the age of 17 as opposed to whenever he would have turned 18? Let's talk to Paul in Appleton. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Paul. I'm looking for someone to give me one good reason why when someone else takes another person's life intentionally, why that person has a right to breathe free air and live. Not go to jail for life, but to live. I don't understand it. Never will. I had a conversation with someone after the uh, Columbine shooting with a, a gal I know in one of my accounts who's a complete liberal. And she said that this person should have the right to get rehab. Huh. You've got to be kidding me, people. Well, right. He killed 10 people. What, what about the rights of those two teachers and those eight students to, to live another day? Uh, right. Think about how many lives this man, this, this, this monster destroyed not just the people, yeah, not just the people whose lives he took, but all the family members who now, for the rest of their life, you know, absolutely, mothers and sisters and grandparents, the right to have it, their own family. It's absurd. If someone takes another person's life in cold-blooded murder in the United States of America, there's absolutely no reason that person should be able to breathe free air. Well, and especially if I'm right now, thanks. I'm, see, I, I'm, and especially in a circumstance like this where you have, you know, to, to impose the death penalty, you need to have what they call aggravating circumstances. Well, I, I mean, I can't think of an aggravating um, circumstance more extreme um, than this. Uh, it, it, he, he's a serial killer, for goodness sakes. He's a serial killer, and there is at least a decent chance, well, at least a chance that somewhere along the line he is going to be paroled. Wow. It's uh, 151, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Gru, who's producing the show today and always. You, you ever notice when there's like some little detail that you don't necessarily think is important, but all of a sudden then you start wondering about it and it gets frustrating when you can't find it? I, I can't find the birth date of, of the Texas shooter. I mean, it... All the story, and when I was when I was preparing the topic, I was like, I was 
I, I actually thought, well, it doesn't make any difference to me whether he's 17 or 18 because as far as I'm concerned, his actions were such that he has the mental wherewithal to be to be held accountable for this. And so does it really make any difference? But now I, I do kind of wonder if he tur- – because it shows you the – the silliness of this. I'm looking at all these stories, and they all talk about a 17. I can't find the kid's birthday. But, I mean, because I guess that would just even underscore the point. If he's going to be 18 in two months or if he's going to be 18 in 20 days, I don't know when his birthday is, wouldn't that be even even more compelling argument for how silly it would be that, gee, at the age of 17, we're going to treat you one way, but if you do this at the age of 18, we're going to treat you another way. All right, we'll figure that out. I don't know. I don't know if they've released the the guy's birthday. All right. Speaking of of birthdays, I have a snowflake alert. I have a snowflake alert. Alert. Cherry Hills, New Jersey. The principal of Cherry Hills, Cherry Hill High School East. I assume maybe there's a Cherry Hill High School West. Has apologized for insensitive language on tickets to the upcoming senior prom. Okay, so th- this caught my attention. The, the principal has how, had to issue a public apology for language that was insensitive that was on the prom invitations. All right, I saw that headline. It caught my attention. What could the insensitive language have been? All right, I, I hope you're sitting down for this. And, and if you're driving, maybe... Maybe you need to slow down or, or make sure you kind of pull by the side of the road or whatever, because I, I don't want to offend you and I don't certainly want to cause, you know, such consternation that you, you know, cause an accident or something like that. But, but the, the prom was being held at the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia. Okay. Philadelphia Declaration of Independence, you know, all that, that type of stuff. Um, so, you know, Philadelphia, um, Liberty Bell, Liberty Bell, right, all that, that kind of stuff. So Philadelphia is being held at the National Constitution Center. The tickets, all right, said party like it's 1776. Okay, so you're having the, the, the prom at the National Constitution Center, and you come out and you say party like it's 1776, which, of course, you know, founding fathers, all that type of stuff. All right, snowflake alert. Apparently, the phrase party like it's 1776 is insensitive and requires an apology. The principal says, I am writing to apologize for the hurt feelings this reference caused to members of our school family. Now, you might say to me, Jeff, what in the blank are you talking about? You're having the prom at the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia. Party like it's 1776. Founding fathers, we get it. Well, well, if you don't understand, snowflake alert. In New, in, um, in Pennsylvania, apparently, actually, New Jersey was this. In, in New Jersey, they did not outlaw slavery until 1854. So, by, by, saying party like it's 1776 some students said not all communities can celebrate what like was life was like in 1776 not all communities can celebrate what life was like in 1776 so 
since there was still slavery that was legal in New Jersey, you can't say party like it was 19, party like it's 1776 because some people might be offended. I, I understand this makes your head hurt. It makes my head hurt as well. But this is sort of the twisted thinking that is there. It now makes me wonder whether it is politically incorrect to celebrate the 4th of July because, I, I don't know, I mean, this was when the nation declared independence, but because some people were freer than others um, over the 4th of July, can we not have an Independence Day celebration anymore? Because that is, in fact, insensitive as well. I swear, I don't make this stuff up. The principal had to apologize for saying party like it's 1776. Snowflake alert, political correctness run amok, and it's America 2018. Go figure. It's 207. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This first two hours have kind of flown by. All right. If you are a regular listener to this program, you know that I'm a huge fan of the Boy Scouts. It is my great pleasure for a number of years. I mean, 10, 12, 13, I forget how many years in a row. I I emceed the um, annual Eagle Scouts and Volunteer Award Recognition Dinner that the Pottawatomie Area Council, which was Waukesha, had. um, Didn't get a chance to do it this year because I was out of town and don't know if they're going to invite me back next year, especially after this next topic. But I'm a big believer in the Boy Scouts. I, I used to don't do it as much anymore, but I used to raise some money for them and things like that. And I, I got involved because what what irritated me back in, you will remember, there was a controversy about uh, the Boy Scouts not allowing gay scoutmasters. And as a result, there were some special interest groups that put pressure on organizations like United Way to cease funding the Boy Scouts. That did not happen around here, but it did happen nationwide. And, and I always, I thought, that's one of these classic stories of when, you know, the elephants fight, the, the grass gets trampled. And by, for example, defunding United Way, uh, the, having the Boy Scouts, United Way defund the Boy Scouts, that, 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 all that hurts is some of the, for example, less privileged kids who couldn't participate in, in scouting without having, for example, that United Way assistance. And I just, I thought that was, that was wrong, regardless of where you come down on that issue. Well, the Boy Scouts have changed, you could say modernized, you could say liberalized over the years. The, the gay scoutmaster thing is not an issue anymore. And Boy Scouts, in an effort to stop declining attendance, now they've gone co-ed. And, you know, we've talked about that before. I mean, the, it's it's now you know starting even at the Cub Scout level it it's it's co-ed so it's no longer matter of fact it's not longer even called Boy Scouts what is it BSA you know it's so that it has changed dramatically and I understand you have to change with the times if you don't change with the times you end up well I don't know becoming extinct but just because you have to modernize are there limits as to how far you have to go every four years. The Boy Scouts have a world jamboree. Matter of fact, when um, I would listen to the, these Eagle Scouts over the years, you know, talk about their remembrances of Boy Scouts, um, a, a lot of times it would involve attending the, this world jamboree. There's a permanent site for this in the mountains of West Virginia. 
and, and it's a big deal. You have you have Boy Scouts, you have explorers, you have ventures, you have people come from all over the world, and it's about a, a week long thing, maybe ten days thing, and it, it's it's a really really big deal. And you trade patches and you do all this type of stuff. It is a big deal, and it's where a lot of memories are in fact made. Well, there is a controversy about the Jamboree, the World Jamboree, that's going to be held a year from this summer. So it's the summer of 2019. And there is there's, there's this thing called the World Scouting Committee, which puts out uh, a publication that says, okay, this is what has to happen and this is how things have to be organized, and this is what has to happen. The host committee, this is what you've got to do, and, and it's requirements of the different things. You know what? The, this is what you have to do as far as health care and making sure doctors are available, and it, it's a relatively extensive document. One of the requirements that the World Scout Committee demands is that host nations, quote, ensure that condoms are readily and easily accessible for all participants and staff at a number of locations on the site. Heads of contingent must be informed in advance and made aware of their responsibility in communicating this policy to their participants, their unit leaders, their contingent staff, and IST in an appropriate way. Condoms. Now, I understand at the Olympics, you know, the, the athletes, the Olympic athletes, they go through a ridiculous number of condoms. You know, we do that story every time there's an Olympics, and you're just, you're, you're talking about like you're, you're giving each of them like 50 or 100 different condoms, and you wonder how do you find time, you know, to, to participate in the event. But that's, that's the Olympics. Here we're talking about the Boy Scouts and the World Jamboree. And the requirement is you have to have condoms that are readily available to the participants. All right, my question is, is there a merit badge for this? I mean, seriously, and, and what would that merit badge look like? A- at some point in time, now, don't send me that email saying, well, Jeff, what do you have against safe sex? I don't have anything. I Look, I, I understand. I, I think... You know, it, it, it's obviously you want to encourage people to, you know, use condom sense and, you know, practice safe sense and all that sex and all that type of stuff. But for the love of God, this is the Boy Scout Jamboree. Have we really got to the point where, you know, for Boy Scouts, and I understand that you've got, you know, the, the co-ed groups there and you're going to have women there and you're going to have the venturers on. But have we really gotten to the point where a condition has to be condoms readily available for all the scouts that participate and that's not a rhetorical question the answer is yes because apparently according to the handbook and i saw a copy of it this morning that's it if you're going to stage this one of the requirements is that condoms be readily available to the participants and that everybody know where to get them and I, I don't know. Some of the kids probably, maybe this is just me being naive, don't necessarily know how to use them. But I don't know, parents, if you're considering sending your kid to the Boy Scout Jamboree, at least you can perhaps sleep better knowing that there's going to be condoms that will be available to all for the asking. Huh. 
the, the founder of the Boy Scouts is undoubtedly turning over in his grave at this moment. It's 214. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Now, seriously, Gru, what merit badge would you get? I mean, that's, you know, that might be one that some of the kids would aspire to, you would think. Just just wondering. 214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Bruins and Brewers. The Brewers and the Diamondbacks continue their three-game series from Miller Park. Mr. Baseball, Bob Bucher is on the call. Our coverage starts at 6.05 this evening. It's sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. As I said, I was at the game yesterday. Zach Renke, who you will remember, um, was part of a big trade. The Brewers brought him in, what, 2010, 2011, led them to the playoffs. I mean, he was the pitcher last night, and... Um, it's clear that time has taken its toll. I like Zach Ranke a lot. And he was a guy that loved, I think, being in Milwaukee. It's just that, you know, he was at a point where you know, he was ready to sign some enormous, stupid money contract, and the Brewers, you know, weren't prepared to pay it. And they shouldn't have paid it. They, they just shouldn't have. Um, it's clear that, that Granke, and I'm a, like I say, I'm a big fan of him. It's clear that he's aging. You know, I mean, he's, um, I was reading the story in the paper today. They say, you know, his fastball, he's lost three, four, five miles an hour off his fastball, which might not sound like a lot if you're driving. What's the difference between 30 and 35 miles an hour if you're driving a car? Well, the difference between throwing 93 and throwing 88 in the major leagues is a big difference. And, you know, you, he's still, you know, a good pitcher, but you could tell he's he's not he's not the type of pitcher he was. But it was fun to watch him uh, last night and I mean, I have a lot of respect for him, and I think he did a lot for Milwaukee. But at the same time, I'm glad he gave up three home runs. Glad the Brewers won four to two, and hopefully they can go on and uh, win the series by winning the game tonight. All right, here, here's the story. I want to I, I want to read for you the way this is described in USA Today, and then I want to tell you a little bit about facts, and we're going to talk about it. The headline: a Michigan mom deported to Albania didn't get to say goodbye to family. A Michigan mother with no criminal record was deported to Albania without being offered the opportunity to say goodbye to her three children or her husband, family members say. While a spokesman for the U.S. Customs Immigration Enforcement said ICE notified family members of the woman's impending departure and told family members to pack her bags 10 days ago, her husband said that he did not learn that his wife was deported until 4 a.m. last Thursday when she called him from Germany, telling him she was en route to Albania with two ICE agents. My kids are devastated. They can't stop crying, said the dad. His name is Pete. Um, my children are traumatized. They got on the bus crying, he said, noting he sent them to school to try to keep things normal as possible. They said, this is not the government they teach us about in school. Okay, so, all right, they, they deported this woman. Kids didn't get a chance to say goodbye. How evil the government is. Okay, well, here is, as they would say, the other side of the story, and I want to get your reaction to it. Um, all right, here's what's happened. Um, th- this woman, and her name is Seely, I can't pronounce the last name. It's P-R-E-C-E-T-A-J. Okay, that's the lady. That's her last name. All right, um, in June, now now keep in mind, it is May of 2018, right? In June of 2005, this lady was determined to be, unlaw- she's an unlawfully present national of Albania. 
was ordered removed from the United States by a federal immigration judge. So June of 2005, she is ordered deported. 2005. Um, she then decided to fight this order. Between 2007 and 2018, she filed appeal after appeal after appeal, trying to stay in this country. During that time, um, immigration allowed her to remain free from custody while she was fighting this order that came from 2005. So she was able to drag, she was ordered deported in 2005, and she was able to stay in this country for the next 13 years fighting this deportation order through the court system. She lost and she lost and she lost again. In April of this year, she tried to appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. She lost. So after 13 years of trying to fight a deportation order, she had pretty much exhausted all the appeals. And at that point in time, she was taken into custody um, pending deportation. Last week, the Sixth Circuit denied her stay. She went to court saying, stay this deportation order, give me another chance. Sixth Circuit said no, and ICE deported her. Um, in her application for asylum, she claimed that she feared for her life in Albania and that her family was constantly threatened by criminal groups that sought to kidnap her and make her a prostitute. She has also expressed fears about an abusive fiancé she left in Albania. Um, okay, so she, she fought this. Those were her claims. She stayed here under a deportation order for 13 years. End of April, she's lost all her appeals. Immigration scoops her up, and they have now sent her back to Albania. And the story is, well, the, the kids didn't get a chance to say goodbye. How terrible is this? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is, again, it, I don't want to sound cruel and heartless in having this conversation, but she was here in this country facing deportation for 13 years. She had to know that this day was going to come at some point in time. She had 13 years to get her affairs in order to say goodbye to her kids or alternatively to make arrangements for her and her husband to leave the United States and, and go to Albania. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is immigration the bad guy in this? The fact that she fought it legally, they let her stay free, She let her. they let her stay in this country while she was exhausting one appeal after another, she loses, and they finally enforce the order from 2005. Are they the bad guys because, yes, they took her into custody, and yes, they sent her back to Albania. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I'm, I, I, I understand why the kids, what are the ages of the kids? They've got three kids, um, ages 8, 10, and 16. So I understand why, why the kids are upset. Now keep in mind, two of the children, you know, were born, you know, after she'd been ordered deported. 
So, I mean, she's facing this deportation order. She has children in the United States, so now those kids are citizens because they're born, I think, in the United States. But but at the same time, she she has these kids knowing that she's subject to this deportation order. Let's talk to Debbie in Pewaukee. Debbie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I did. She had 13 years. Why didn't she try to become a citizen? It can't, it's, I mean, I know it's hard to become a citizen, you know, to do the tests and everything, but I think she could have done it in 13 years. Well, I, I think you might have had, I, I, once you, if you're caught in this country illegally, I, I think you have to leave the country and then make arrangements to come back, which makes it more difficult. But yeah, to, to your point, she, she's, she's known for 13 years that this day was coming. And, and right. at some, you know, and, and at some point in time, it, you know, it, the law has to be enforced. And, that, and that's what they did here. They enforced the law. Exactly. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for calling. I mean, again, it's, you know, it would seem to me that at some point in time, if you were really concerned about all this, and it was important to keep the family together. Well, maybe you start have to re- having to realize that, hey, maybe we're going to have to relocate because it- it's not like this is just something where she was rounded up. This has been an ongoing legal battle for 13 years. It's not like, oh, I never saw this day coming. She's been no- she has known for 13 years. I don't know when she came into the country illegally. The deportation order was June of 2005. But you knew this was going on a- at some point in time. I, I don't know. It's sort of like, I don't know, somebody's, t- let's, let's, I'll give you an analogy. You stop making payments on your house, all right? And the bank tells you, we are going to foreclose unless you make the payments. You continue to not make payments. Or you say, okay, I'm going to try to, you know, work out some repayment thing or whatever, and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work. And, you know, you, you don't end up making the payments. And the bank keeps telling you, we're going to foreclose, we're going to foreclose. And then saying, hey, I, I'm surprised one day that they showed up with the eviction order. You know this is going to happen at some point in time. And to say, oh, this is terrible, they didn't let her say goodbye or they didn't give her any more notice. She's had 13 years notice that this was going to happen. And I look, I understand reasonable people can argue about, you know, our immigration policies and things like this. But at some point in time, if you come into this country illegally, and you're ordered to leave the country if you exhaust all your legal remedies. And, Lord, this lady had 13 years that she fought it through court. some point in time, that day of reckoning is going to come. And I guess I just don't think you should whine about it when it occurs. 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, the world's largest music festival. It's right around the corner, and WTMJ is your one-stop shop for Summerfest information. To get a full musical lineup of the big gig, text the word SUMMERFEST to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. Drew, I was hearing through the grapevine, we're back at Summerfest this year. Back down at Summerfest, broadcasting from the mobile broadcast facility. Always a lot of fun. And Summerfest, then that leads into some of the ethnic festivals. Then it leads into State Fair. Love that. Just love that part of the job. All right. When we come back, Starbucks in full-blown semi-backpedal mode. We are going to discuss it. 237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, the new head of MPS, says he has five, count them, five, Priorities to turn the district around. John McCure and Melissa Barkley share them. 434 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. People sending me suggestions for chicken soup for Eric Bilstead. I, sorry, I can't get them to him. You know, I just, um, 
chicken noodle soup. I yeah, I haven't had chicken noodle soup in in just ages and and ages. But I don't know if you're sick. Sounds like it could be something that works out. All right, Starbucks, Starbucks, which is well, it's one of those those progressive companies. You know, it, it's one of those companies where they they've got a heart and they've got compassion and they want to. They want to elevate the dialogue for the, the rest of us, for the, the great unwashed. So Starbucks, of course, the company that had the idea that we're going to take the, the baristas and instead of just having them make, make your latte, they're going to engage in conversations with you about social policy and things like that. And, and I, I said when they first announced that a couple of years ago, and I said yesterday we were sort of just superficially talking about this topic, I mean, you know, give, give me a break. I mean, with with all due respect, love discussing the issues of the day. But when I, I'm buying, when I'm in Starbucks, and I don't go into Starbucks that much, I, and I, I want my coffee, I don't want to necessarily engage in a lengthy discussion of social policy with the 22-year-old, you know, guy or gal be, behind the counter. I'm sure they have a lot of compelling things to say, and they're certainly free to call the program. But, you know, just give me my coffee, for goodness sakes. So, but that's that's Starbucks. Everybody knows the story by now. A few weeks ago, you had the two guys in downtown Philadelphia who happened to be black go into one of the downtown Starbucks. They're not buying anything. They're waiting for somebody else to come um, for a meeting, but they don't buy coffee. They don't buy anything. One of them has to use the restroom. The manager says, no, um, you're not buying anything. Uh, they refuse to leave. The cops get called. The cops arrest them, and it becomes this huge cause celeb well okay starbucks announces late last week that their new corporate policy is going to be anybody can go and hang out at starbucks um for any length of time and you don't have to buy anything so the idea would be that okay we're going to be we're we're going to we're, we're going to be this compassionate business but we're we're essentially you come, stay, do whatever you want. Well, not, not do whatever you want, but come and stay. You don't have to buy anything. Fine. Well, as soon as they announce that, uh, a lot of people, myself included, start saying, "Okay, do you realize what they have just done? They have essentially just turned every Starbucks in this country into a a homeless shelter." Because that that's that's exactly. You know what this is. Come on in, use the bathrooms, hang out, sit, and wait. And, you know, and, and of course, I'm thinking, all right, well, that, if that's their business model, it's fine. But what about the paying customers, you know, the people that really pay the freight? You know, if they walk in to, particularly in an urban area, and particularly in cold weather, and they walk in, and there's no place for them to sit down, and all you've got is, again, it looks like a homeless shelter with people lined up with their belongings and their shopping carts full of stuff or whatever, just sitting there, you know, from morning to night, waiting till, you know, it gets dark and you have to go somewhere else. How is that going to be for business? And a number of people have been, you know, raising that, that point. Well, Starbucks is now sort of modifying their policy. Um, what What they're saying is, well... Um, here, here's the, here's the deal. Um, yes, the thing is that our restaurants are going to be open. Um, yes, you don't have to make purchases. Yes, you can use the, the restrooms. 
And yes, there's no limit on how long you can stay. Um, they do say, though, that there are going to be some guidelines. Um, if you use drugs, you can be ejected. Hmm. If you smoke, and it's a non-smoking thing, you can be ejected. If it, but but only only after there's been at least two of the employees who've consulted to determine if you really are violating the rules. But the rules are essentially no drugs, no smoking, and if you engage in disruptive behavior. Presumably, you know, if, if you start a fight, um, you, you can be thrown out. But otherwise, it's pretty much hands-off. This is going to be, it's essentially going to be, Starbucks all across this country are essentially going to become, I don't know, homeless shelters, public libraries, bus depots, you name it. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, so Starbucks has now modified this policy to say if you smoke, if you use drugs, or if you engage in disorderly conduct, namely like fights and stuff like that, we're going to toss you. But otherwise, feel free. Come, hang out. Is this an incredibly passionate policy, or is this just business insanity? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand dealing with customers that linger is always sort of a challenge. You know, McDonald's has this too with the people that go in and buy the cup of coffee and then sit and have the coffee clutches for a couple hours. But I think Starbucks is absolutely out of its mind. This is not a business model that can succeed. And I think they're going to scare off a lot of their customers if they persist in this. I mean, if I'm going to Starbucks and, you know, I, I want to sit and meet my brother there and have a cup of coffee or something, I, I don't necessarily want to, you know, fight with the eight or ten homeless people that are there, um, again, you know, who are just kind of hanging out all day. I don't think businesses are the places for that. Now, the business gets to make its choice, but I think this is going to be horrible for business moving forward. It's 243. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 247. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And the other thing Starbucks says it won't allow. No using draw. Otherwise, come come hang out for as long as you want. Warm yourself up. Um, use our bathrooms. No smoking. No drug use. And you won't you won't be allowed to sleep. So if you if you fall asleep, they'll wake you up or toss you out or whatever. So, but otherwise, as long as you can stay awake, you can hang out in Starbucks for as long as you want. Rick in Waukesha. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah. Hey. How you doing? Real well, thank you. Is this going to work out well for Starbucks? I don't think so. <laughs> I honestly don't. Uh, I'm a fairly regular patron, two to three times a week. I used to do it even more. Uh, my typical thing is I'll stop in in the morning, and we're talking early, like 5.30. Right. And I'll get a coffee and a bagel or something, sit at the table and eat. But I used to work in Chicago, and I'd go to the ones there, and not so early, 7, 8 o'clock, and I would encounter homeless people there. And I'm not trying to be mean to them. No. I'm really not, but let's face it, if we're honest, homeless people don't always shower every day. Right. They don't always have the best presentable clothing on, and I don't like to be mean to them, but it's going to turn some people off. Well, well, not only that, but 
Okay, let, let's again, let's not talk about a, a nice summer day where people want to be outside, but let's talk about a day in January where it's zero degrees outside and, you know, people have left wherever they're staying. Starbucks is going to place to get warm. You come in, you want to have your coffee and bagel, and there's no place to sit down because it's packed with folks who aren't buying anything. I mean, you know, pretty soon, right. you know, you're going to be going somewhere else. Exactly. Uh, at, at the very least, you're going to have extremely long lines at the drive-through. Well, yeah, yeah. Could, I mean, thank, it could could be, but I don't even know if they have those in some of these areas. Um, let's see. Uh, here's a text. I don't want to go to Starbucks and have people asking me for money. I can't stand people begging for money. Now, I I, I assume that they're going to be perhaps limiting that. I, I would hope at least that they're going to be limiting the, the panhandling that's going on. I mean, I will tell you, I mean, see, this is the problem that these progressive sort of, you know, liberal-minded companies get themselves in where they they want to be touchy-feely and they want to sound good. And I, I understand that. I mean, I told this story the other day. When I was at Marquette Law School, the now there's a whole new law school building, and, and even after I left, they, they built a big addition on it. But there wasn't a lot of space. It, it was very, very cramped when, when I was at Marquette Law School. And so um, the library, a lot of times, was just full. You couldn't find a place to study. And so what I used to do is I used to walk the two or three blocks over to the public library. You know, if I had a couple hours between classes, I wasn't going to go home or whatever, I'd go up and I'd sit upstairs, uh, I think it was, I think it was the second floor, you know, the periodical thing. Um, well, during fall and winter, what you had is you had a, a large number of uh, homeless people, um, some of whom had drug, drug and or alcohol problems, you know, because they were already, depending on what time you were there, they, they were maybe intoxicated, maybe not, and they, w- they would sit at the, the tables. And so, I mean, I'd be there with my law books and stuff, and you'd have people and they weren't reading the periodicals or anything. I mean, what they would do is they'd get a magazine or something, they'd put it in front of them, but they were just kind of killing time. And periodically people would fall asleep, and that one of the librarians would go around, and, and that was kind of her job was to wake up the people because they didn't allow you to sleep in the public library. And, and that that's fine, but that was a public library, all right, that was open to the public. It was not a place of business. Again, I don't want to be heartless either, but you wonder how this is going to ultimately work out, especially in the winter, especially in these urban areas, where you essentially turn Starbucks during the day into you know another sort of, uh, again, warming area, homeless shelter, or whatever. Now, maybe it's going to cause the business to thrive. Maybe this is going to be the greatest idea of, you know, the greatest idea since canned beer, and people will say, oh, this is so wonderful, this is so compassionate, here we have this great community. But i got to believe that there's a lot of people who go into Starbucks because, you know, they want to, hey, we're going to have a meeting. I'm going to meet my insurance agent there or whatever, and we're going to have, like, the first caller, we're going to have a bagel, we're going to have a cup of coffee. Well, if you go in there and you can't find a seat because it's occupied by all the people who are just hanging out. Now, is this going to apply, is this going to be a problem at all Starbucks, at all locations? No. But, you know, the, these urban areas, and I, I told the story the other day, too. I mean, look, I was in Key West a few weeks ago, and huge tourist population. I would say almost every bar or restaurant along Duval Street, which is the big main drag in Key West, had these signs up saying, our restrooms are, are for paying customers. Because otherwise, you know, the, 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 they, they just would get overrun 
by people who weren't buying stuff and they couldn't stay in business that long. Kaylee in Germantown. Kaylee, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jack. How's it going? Very well, thank you. Is this going to work out well for for Starbucks? You know, I was just in New York City uh, not that long ago, and it was so overpopulated with the number of people who were actually buying items. Yeah. So I don't think that it's going to work out. People who want to get a cup of coffee, sit down, do some work, study, aren't going to be able to, and they're going to get pushed out and take their business elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's exact, and it, it's not that it's cruel and it's heartless, but I mean, Starbucks, just like any place, is in business to sell things. You know, that's, it, they, I mean, they're, they're not in business to just be like a public reading room. They're not the public library. They're not the bus terminal. They're, they're not the homeless shelter. I just don't see how this is going to work moving forward. And my guess is, Kaylee, you're going to have all sorts of stories coming out, you know, especially as wintertime comes around, about how at least in the urban areas there's some of these Starbucks that are just they, that aren't going to have room for the paying customers and people are going to start revolting. And you can go a lot of different places to get a cup of coffee. So oh, yeah. I'm going to have to say I'll probably take my business elsewhere and support the local shop. Yeah, no, thanks for right. You 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 can. That's the the other factor. I mean, if um, and again, I, I I'm not a big Starbucks guy. I mean, I make stuff at home, and candidly, I'm still one of these guys. But, you know, a buck at McDonald's or a buck fifty for a large cup of coffee. I that that's just that's just fine with me. I don't understand the three bucks for the fancy coffees, but again, that's just me. Starbucks gets to make it. It's a business decision, and maybe they will be seen as the the wonderful, compassionate business, and maybe that'll cause them to be successful. Um, I, I think I think it's going to play out a little differently than they plan, though. Time will tell. Two fifty four. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure and Melissa Barkley have on their minds. Stick around.